want to get to his throne room and find out that I offended him at the sake of offending others. That I kept from saying what was true in order to save from others. Can I just say this morning, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit, guys. Can I just be real? I'm struggling a little bit. I, I'm a little bit bummed out to come back. I, I'm going to be real honest. I just spent a week in a place where people understood they were desperate for Jesus. And I just came into a place where I don't know if you have Thanksgiving food coma or something, but there's not a desperation in the room. Some of you are camping on what God has blessed you with and not on the intimacy that God has with you. See, sometimes in American culture, we decide because we are blessed somehow, that is an indication of how close God is to us or that he favors how we're behaving. The fact that we have a rich dad does not mean we are favored in our attitudes. We think because our rich dad gives us good gifts that somehow that means that we are a favored son. Here's the reality is I just spent a week, I stood in front of 30,000 people desperate for Jesus. I, I want you to understand what that looks like. Because I can tell you that being here and being there, there is a difference. And I don't want you to miss what God has available for you in this season. Can I just say something to you? I, 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 I get up here and I tell you things that heaven has whispered to me. And I do not say them to you lightly. You know, in fact, if you read the, the prophets in the Old Testament, you will find that they did not say things lightly. In fact, very rarely did a prophet <laughs> never ever come to somebody and say, I just, I just want you to hear me here. I feel as though heaven might be saying in this season. Do you know a prophet never said that? A prophet never got up and said, um, it, it's possible that God is saying this. I sense that heaven is doing this in this season. When, when you, yeah, I feel as though. Now, there's nothing wrong as when I'm talking to you individually to have a conversation with you and, and leave room for you to confirm a word that God is giving. But when I stand up here on this pulpit and I release a word from heaven and I say, God is doing in this season, I am not saying that lightheartedly. I don't say those things flippantly. I tell you what I've heard from heaven so that you don't miss what God is doing in a season. The children of Israel missed what God was doing in a desert because they longed for what they had before. They wanted to walk in what was comfortable and consistent, which was slavery. Egypt was comfortable and consistent. Here's the question. Do you want comfortable and consistent? In order to break out of slavery, slavery is always comfortable and consistent. You have to go to uncomfortable places. You have to be in uncomfortable places. And I know that makes you uncomfortable. What a revelation. Isaiah 40 Verse 3 says this, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Lord, we are just praying, God, make our path straight. Lord, make a way through, make a highway so that we can get where we're going. The problem is, is that rarely do we want to read what this verse actually says. Make straight in the desert a highway. Oh, oh, not, not in the valleys, not in the, in, the, in the fruit fields, not in the wheat, not in the harvest fields. In the deserts. See, the path is made straight when we put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. My team and I went to a nation that is listed as the fifth most dangerous nation on earth to Christianity. It's the fifth most hostile nation. And not only did we go there, but I told <coughs> our host... That if I didn't find myself in dangerous situations, I'm going to feel as though he did a bad job. I don't want to just go to the safe places. I mean, we went to the mall. It was really nice. We had nitrogen-soaked Cheetos. You guys see that? Dragon breath. That was pretty cool. First world food. Okay? Everyone's like, that was a nice mall. Yeah, it was a nice mall. We went to nice places. It turns out there are nice places there. 
But if our host would have just taken us into nice places, I would have been disappointed. I went there to take the gospel into unreached places, to reach further than what was possible. Now, one of the things that we did when we got there or before we left, we decided because um, the size and the immensity of it and, and being financially responsible that we would scale back our plans and our meeting. Uh, we originally were planning to do a giant conference and we decided, hey, let's just do something within our means this first time we go over there. Let's just take it way back. Let's cut the budget in half, make sure it's reasonable. We're not overspending our resources. Um, it's not about me looking good. And so we cut our budget in half and um, uh, the weather there turned very cold. I want you to understand uh, our cold is not their cold, okay? Their cold is not our cold, all right? It was not cold for us at all. Uh, but for them, it was cold, and our host, Pastor Shazad, was concerned that not a lot of people would come out to the crusade. They wouldn't travel out because it was cold for them, and he was concerned, man, I'm just, we're not going to have that great a showing, and people aren't going to come uh, because of the cold weather. I want you to understand, not only was the place completely filled to the brim, but there were at least a thousand people standing outside the walls listening because they couldn't get in the facility. Where have you been that you were hungry enough for God, you were willing to stand outside just to hear a little? Where have you been where people are hungry enough to say, I don't know what this is about, but I need to hear what this man has to say? Thousands gathered in that place. The estimate is, is uh, plus 30,000 people came to the crusade. Remember, we scaled it back. We cut the budget in half. And over 30,000 people came. Can you imagine what next time is going to look like? When it came time for the altar call, and I prayed and asked for God to show up and begin to heal people, God began to systematically come and heal people left and right, left and right, left and right. So much so that each time they got fully healed, I asked them to line up on the side of the stage so that they could testify. We would have been there till the next day if we had taken every testimony. There were hundreds of people waiting to testify to healings that happened. Paralyzed bodies got healed. Eyesights got restored. A woman that couldn't speak for 13 years had her speech completely restored. So we had her pray for the crowd. And more people got healed. The power of God showed up. And then I sicked my team on the crowd. I'll let them share some of those stories, but I can tell you, Mark saw three blind eyes opened as he prayed for those individuals, not from a distance, right in front of them. We saw the power of God move mightily, but one of the joys of my life was to give an altar call, to give a salvation call for people that wanted to make Jesus the Lord of their life. And I said, only if you're going to pray, if you've prayed this prayer for the first time, raise your hands. And thousands of hands shot up all across the stadium area. So much so that I had to ask uh, Shazad, the interpreter, again, no, 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 just first time they've prayed that. Thousands of hands go up. No, 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 if they've never prayed that before, never, that was their first time and they prayed it. Not just they've never prayed it, but that they actually prayed it. It was their, and he looks at me, he goes, Ren, they know what you're saying. <laughs> he goes, those are the first time. And I looked, and there was thousands of hands. And I'm not overestimating. When I say there was 5,000 hands, there was 5,000 hands, guys. It might, it might have been much more. But when we read in Acts chapter 2 that the church added 3,000 that day, 5,000 that day, you don't understand what that looks like until you're looking at a sea of people giving their heart to Jesus. On Friday night, the Holy Spirit impressed on me to begin to pray and to, and to uh, give a message. I want you to understand that this is a predominantly Muslim country uh, that is hostile to Christianity in many regards. Uh, many of the Muslims are not afraid of the name of Jesus. If you don't know, the name of Jesus is in the Quran. He's considered a prophet and he's a respected prophet. But when you start saying Jesus is Lord, that's when they want to kill you. So you have to be careful about how you share the gospel there. 
there has to be something that allows them to receive that statement. If I were to walk out on the pulpit and just walk up and say, Jesus is God, they would probably uh, seek my head. But if I can demonstrate that Jesus is God, then when I say it, they'll listen. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, would you show up here? Would you show and tell? Would you show that you're Jesus? And I began to pray for a woman. And I said, there's somebody with neck pain and a Muslim woman stood up. And I began to pray for this Muslim woman and her neck completely healed. And so here's what's amazing is that a lot of times we can think, okay, that might be an adrenaline rush. Uh, you know, maybe she just got caught up in the moment. And she can't check the pain. Here's how good God is, is that sometimes what I found is that God will heal one thing, but not the other thing. Why? To demonstrate that it's not an adrenaline rush. If you have an adrenaline rush, everything, all the pain goes away at once because adrenaline is surging through your body. And so she says the neck pain is completely gone, but my feet still hurt real bad. Oh, okay. So we pray a second time. All the pain in her feet leave, except her feet are still really cold. She was having some problem where uh, numbness and, and chills were in her feet. She couldn't feel her feet right, and they were always ice cold. So we prayed a third time, and heat came back into her feet. And I looked at her, and I said, that's Jesus. He's not a prophet, and he's not dead. He's alive. And I said, how can Jesus, who was just a prophet, be healing you right now? And she began to weep. Muslims from the front row got up and left the service. And I thought, well, okay, I'm doing something right. I'm chasing off the Muslims. And two minutes later, do you know you can tell the difference between who was Christian in the room and who was Muslims? Usually, you can see a Christian's face. You can't see the Muslim's face. You understand that? They're wearing the hajib. And as I, pray, as I was praying and healings were happening, this Muslim's left. A minute or two later, the Muslim didn't leave. She went to go get the rest of her family and friends and bring them back to say, this guy, this Jesus is healing everyone, come. And all of a sudden, I had more Muslims to pray for. And Muslims were giving their heart to Jesus in droves because they saw the power of the gospel lived out. And they said, that's the true God, and they came chasing it. Do you understand? The culture there was different. They kept having to guard us from people, from people bombarding us, not because they wanted to hurt us, because they wanted prayer. They wanted hands laid on them. They wanted to be prayed for. They wanted a blessing. They wanted something from God, and they would press in as long as you would let. They'd crowd the stage and come up and say, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. And they were hungry for a touch from God. What would happen in our American churches if I had to have security to keep me from praying for you? Where well, I don't have to spend 45 minutes trying to convince you that you need a touch from God. To be the kind of people that are saying, whenever he stops, I'm going to run to that altar. I'm just waiting for him to give me a chance for him to pray for me. I just want a touch from God. Why won't this man stop talking and just pray for us? Will we see more miracles? Will we see an increase of what God wants to do? So when I get up here and I give you a word from the Lord, I want you to understand I never do it lightly. I don't get up here and tell you things you want to hear. I think you, if you've been here any length of time, you know that's definitely not true. I could tell you a lot of fluffy things that would fill seats. But I want to be honest about the coming season. There are too many pastors that say what you want to hear so that they can fill the seats on Sunday morning. But the reality is, is that will do you no good in the coming season. I said to you this. I said to you, I stood up here and for the last few months I've been telling you that a Joseph season is on us. A Joseph season is on us. That the church is walking through a feast and a famine season. Can I say today that today looked like a famine to me? It looked like, I'm just going to be honest, some of y'all are starving. You had a lot of thanksgiving, but you had nothing from heaven. And I worry what happens when you malnourish yourself from heavenly places, when you don't feast on the manna of heaven long enough that you no longer know what it tastes like. 
And I said to you, there's a Joseph season coming on the church. There is a Joseph season coming on the church where there is feast and famine in the world. And those that are listening and pursuing the voice of God, those that are listening and dreaming of what heaven is saying in this season will be the ones that hold on to the feast. They'll be the distributors of the feast. They'll be the holders of heaven in this season. But the rest of everyone else will be under famine. And they'll need what the church has. And you will see the transfer begin to happen. You will see those that were considered low. Those that had no influence or opportunity. Those that were discarded by brothers and other people that were supposed to hold them in high esteem. You will see those that once were discarded by their brothers rise up in nations. I said this. I told you this. You will see Joseph's being honored by pharaohs, by people that are not gods, that do not belong to gods, but they will be unable to stop from blessing the children of God in this season. And famine will leave those people and feast will be in their hands. What I say to you, I do not say lightly, but what I say to you either comes to pass or what I said was false. Judge the fruit. And if the fruit is real, then get behind it. Because if the feast is real, the famine is also real. <clears throat> we cut the budget in half. We got to Pakistan. We preached in front of 30,000. Woo! Amen. Guys, it was cool. It was amazing. Yay for Pastor Ren. He preached in front of a lot of people. Hooray. If I tell you the numbers don't matter, and then all of a sudden the numbers matter when they're big, then I'm a liar. Hooray. I, man, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Super fun. Not mad at all. Didn't get there and go, this is just really ridiculous. They should go home. No. What I did not expect was what God was doing behind the scenes. So our whole team, um, words matter. And I've been giving Mark a hard time because he, he said the, the fatal phrase that you never say on a mission trip that I've learned the hard way twice. Uh, we were in Honduras and we were, we were down in Honduras in 2020. Yeah, some of you already know where this is going. We were down in Honduras, and we had the beautiful banana leaves and the 70-degree weather while all of y'all were buried in snow here in 2020. And I started taking a video of the team, and I'm like, hey, guys, we're just down here in Honduras. It's like 70 degrees, and look at all the banana trees. Just pray for us. We're just suffering for Jesus. We're just suffering for Jesus. Yeah, just pray for us. You know, we're, I'm rubbing it in. I'm, I'm being honest. Yeah, I was rubbing it in, you know. I was shaming all of the, everyone that didn't go, ha-ha, suckers. And um, we all got sick. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I'm talking about Honduras. Yeah, it happened like that in Honduras too. All but one got sick. There was always one. And he's like, I don't claim that. And uh, that was smarter than we were. And we all got like sick, sick. And when I mean sick, I mean sick. The way we decided who was preaching that day when we were in Honduras was whoever was least sick. Okay, who hasn't thrown up today? You haven't thrown up today? You're preaching. Okay. And that's how it went. So one night I'm like, I can't do it. And so I tagged uh, Pastor Isaac in. I'm like, you preaching tonight. And I made a decision at the last minute. I can go. I'll, I'll go on the drive. I'll sit in the back and I'll listen. I, be a, I don't want to miss the service. I don't feel good enough to preach, but I'll listen. That was a mistake. It was the most miserable drive ever. And I regretted it. I get there, I'm sitting in the back, Eli's sitting with me, and, and, and uh, Isaiah was sitting with me, excuse me, and um, uh, Isaac's up there preaching, and he begins to do the altar call, and the Lord speaks to me and says, go up there and pray for people. What? I am dying. Like, this is my last prayer and testament right here. Like, <clears throat> so the Lord says, go pray. And I'm like, fine. I go to get up. Isaiah's like, what? what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm going to pray for people. You're not. You can't go pray for people. The Lord told me to pray for people. I'm going to go pray for people. I don't like it either, okay? 
but I'm going to go pray. So I go up there and I'm like, I mean, I'm, guys, I'm sweating. I have a fever. I'm dying. Who does God put me in front of? This woman. When I walk up to her, she is sweating. She has a fever. Uh, she, like she, you could tell she has a pounding headache. She's, and she's sweating. And, she, and I look down. We haven't eaten yet. We're okay. Um, yeah, I look down. And there is a pile of vomit in front of her where she's standing up there at the altar, believing God, showing up at the altar to get prayer while she's throwing up. See, some of you are like, whoa, whoa. Some of you don't know what contending for your miracle looks like. I'm, I'm not suggesting that, okay? But some of you just do not understand what contending looks like. So I'm sick as a dog, but I'm going up there to pray because the Lord has told me to do it. How many of you guys have that obedience in you? Oh, I know what you're expecting me to say. Because I went up there and prayed, all the sickness left my body. And all of a sudden I was healed because I was obedient. No. I went home just as miserable, just as sick. But when I laid hands on that woman, the second I began to pray, the clamminess and the heat left her body. The sweating ceased and she dried up immediately. The pain in her face lifted. Her headache went. All the pressure went. The sickness went. The stomach virus went. And when she left through the interpreter, she came back and she hugged me. And she told me that the second I laid hands on her, every bit of sickness left. That she had the worst headache she'd ever had in her entire life while she was sick. And now she felt no pain, no headache, no fever, no nausea. Everything was completely gone. And she was totally healed that moment at that altar. While I had probably the same sickness she did, and I left sick. <clears throat> so we're there in Honduras, and uh, fast forward, we're in, in Pakistan, and uh, we have this beautiful dinner that was set out for us. And Mark takes a picture, and he's like, we're suffering for Jesus. And I was like, no! <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm like, you don't say this. And he's like, this is why we need more missionary meetings. This is the reason. That's what he says. He says, we, this should have been covered in a mission meeting. And I'm like, well, you're not wrong. So yeah, if you guys ever sign up to go on, a, on one of our trips, it will say on there, never under any circumstances utter this phrase or you're not welcome on another trip. <laughs> Words have power. Yes. Why do you think I'm sucking down cough drops right now? We all got sick. All but one. Because Dean, because Dean's in a different atmosphere, so he wasn't in our atmosphere. He rose right above it. That's what happened. So we all got sick. I had to, I had to miss a service. It was the first time ever that I missed a service. But I, I want you to understand. I'm setting the atmosphere for what's happening here. So we're feeling terrible. We're just kind of making it through. All of us are having different issues. And, um, and I'm, I have to miss the Sunday morning service. We, we, I mean, we did a ton of big stuff, so I missed one. And I rested that day so that I could finish out the trip well and get through it. And I have this bronchial infection. I've been coughing. Like, if you, it, you know, I'll, I'll cough through the service just a little bit, but you can hear, like, it's in my chest. And, 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 so I paid for what I went in to do. I want you to understand that not everything you do will be a, 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 a shiny gem. Not, not everything you do. See, here's the thing about the power of words that we speak when we, we declare things. What we want are instantaneous results. We have come into a fast food culture, into a microwave culture where we think because we have said it, Somehow it must manifest the second we say it, and it must manifest complete, not in process. And that's rarely the way that the, the Word of God works. God took them into a promised land, but they went through a process to the promise. 
He made straight in the desert. He did not make straight from Egypt straight to the promise. There was a path to the promise. And that path requires a travel. And it doesn't always look clean. And it doesn't always have fruit around the whole thing. The difference is the destination, not where you're at. And so in the middle of this season of feeling like suddenly we've come to this place and we're in the middle of a famine. Our health is in famine suddenly. Shazad had set up an appointment for us. Somehow he had gotten us an appointment. I had talked to him. He had come here one time before to America. We went to Walmart and they had some t-shirts, some fun t-shirts that were on clearance. And he goes, oh, my kids would like these t-shirts. I'll bring them back some souvenirs. So he buys these t-shirts for his kids because they're on clearance at Walmart. And he buys them. He thinks his kid will like them. He gets home and he calls me. He goes, Ren, you're, you're gonna, you, this is hilarious. He goes, my wife opened up and saw the t-shirts that I had brought her back, and she made fun of me. And I said, why did she make fun of you? She, he goes, let me show you the tags from these t-shirts. All these t-shirts that he bought here in Oklahoma at Walmart, if you look at the tag, it says made in Pakistan. <laughs> he goes, I traveled all the way to America so that you could print something on a shirt that came from my country. And I said, well, man, while I'm there in Pakistan, I should, I should look into some textiles. We do Christian shirts all the time. I like to do a lot of shirts. Maybe I should be importing Pakistan T-shirts. Maybe I'll save some money. So he decided to use that as a way in. He calls the governor's office and, and a prominent Christian senator and says, you should meet with Pastor Ren while he's here. You know, he's a businessman. And he's looking to get into textiles here in Pakistan. Okay? And... For some reason, the governor says, sure. This is the governor of the region of Punjab, and it's the region that has the city of Lahore in it that we were at, so millions of people underneath this governor, and, and the, a prominent senator who is a Christian. The governor is a Muslim. He is not a Christian. He is a Muslim. Fifth most hostile country in the world, according to rankings, for Christianity and I'm meeting with the Muslim governor, and I'm sick, and I don't feel good. And I told Shazad, I said, if we need to cancel this, then let's cancel it. And he says, no, 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 we cannot cancel this. Oh, man, we got to go. We got to do this. I mean, it's a meeting. You know, he's interested in business. Okay, I mean, I don't know what we're going to do there. We'll have a meeting. We'll get a photo op, and I'll look awesome. Oh, look at, uh, look at me. I got to meet the governor. Yay. Write a nice photo op. Maybe some of you guys saw my picture with Governor Stitt a couple of weeks ago. Uh, before I left, you know, I got a photo op with Governor Stitt. Didn't change anything. Didn't move our state. Didn't get to sit down with him and discuss policy. Just a nice photo op. Got a picture. Yay. But something happened in that meeting. Sat down because I was going to bring textiles and, and do textiles and t-shirts. And there was a business opportunity for finances to be exchanged from Pakistan and America. And so they took this meeting. But when we sat down, the conversation never got once on business. It never went to business, not once. In fact, I have some pictures here of that meeting, if Chris has them up, and he can throw them up there. But what happened in that meeting is the, is the, the governor who's here on my left, if, if you see, if you can look carefully there, you'll see in his hand is my book right there in his hand. And the governor promised me he was actually going to read my book because I told him I wrote it for Pakistan and what I saw there in those meetings. But we had this meeting with the governor where the governor said, I don't know how your visit has been to Pakistan, but it's very important to me that we change the perception of the world about the nation of Pakistan. You came in here and I saw the pictures from your crusade. You did a wonderful meeting. And Pastor Shazad pipes up and says, the Muslims aren't doing meetings like this to the governor. It's only the Christians doing meetings like this. The Muslims aren't gathering like this. And the governor said, you're right. It is the Christians. It's the Christians. And he says, we're, we're, we're helping refugees. We're helping the flood victims. And we're helping families that are hungry. These Christians are coming in. Nothing more than the love that they have. No agenda. They come with love. And the governor says, we need, Pastor Wren, will you help us to change the narrative of Pakistan to the world? We want Pakistan to know this. Christians are loved, welcome, and free to express their faith in the nation of Pakistan. 
He said, I'm a Muslim. And in Islam, we have different sects. We have different denominations. I believe different than some of my Islam brothers. We have difference of opinion about the Quran. And I said, yeah. And he says, I want to be free to disagree. I want to be free to disagree with their version, with their understanding. He says, in order for me to be free to disagree with them, then you have to be free. If I'm not free, you're not free. If you're not free, I'm not free. And he says, so everyone in Pakistan has to be free to choose. I want you to come and know that you are safe here, that you are welcome. And not only are you welcome, but the government supports your faith and your right to express it here in our nation. Pastor Ren, you are welcome in Pakistan. We will give you stadiums. We will give you resources. You need a stadium? Come. The government will provide it for you and provide the protection. He actually graduated from Penn State. I said, well, my son lives in Pennsylvania. He goes, oh, what part? Harrisburg. Oh, it's a great area. And I'm like, what is happening? What is happening? Well, we, we talk nothing about business, but he wanted the world to know that the narrative in Pakistan is changing. And with the new party that's just come in, he wants Christians to know that they are safe to come over there. They're safe to come over there and help their refugees. They're safe to come over there and feed people. And they don't take their resources without providing their faith as well. He says, we don't want you to leave your faith at home to bring your resources. We want you to know that you're safe and you're loved and you're appreciated here in our nation. Every person has the right to choose their own faith. And just like that, Pharaoh gave favor to Joseph. Do you understand? I have no business being there. We're not the mega church. And the news crew showed up. There's some clips from the newspaper. I don't know if Chris put them up. But this is the, the, the largest newspaper in all of Asia. And we weren't just in that one. We were in all of them. We weren't just in all the newspapers. We were on all the nightly news. If you go on my Facebook, you'll see one of the news clips that I posted, a little 40-second clip of us on the news. And there's a headline here. It says, minorities, including Christian community, enjoying equal rights in Pakistan, says the governor. This is the narrative being shown across Pakistan right now as we meet, that Christian minorities are safe and have equal rights and equal protection under the government in Pakistan. Their message is things are shifting. I want you to understand this has states, this has um, state implications. Th this is the kind of stuff that our United States embassies send over delegations to discuss human rights issues with governments. And we make big meetings and we have UN meetings and, and we make treaties and deals with them where we say, we'll make a deal with your nation and we'll do business with your nation, but we want to make sure that human rights are not violated. That's what our State Department does. But yet a pastor from Oklahoma, from a church of just a couple of hundred, goes over there and finds favor with Pharaoh, a man not of his own faith, a man not prone to him, and suddenly there's favor and it goes across the entire Pakistan nation. More was done for Christian rights this last week than has been done in a decade in Pakistan. From a meeting that we were almost too sick to go to. But we pushed through anyways. We pushed through for the breakthrough. Sometimes the push through doesn't look good. Sometimes it looks rough. Sometimes it's hard. But here's the thing that I've learned is not every seed turns to fruit in a day. Not every seed blossoms the minute it's planted. But I have learned something, that what we say, what we declare, what we speak, when we walk in the authority of Christ, when we know who we are, we can't help but be Joseph's. When we utter what God says, when it comes from the throne room of heaven, it shall not return void. It may not go out complete, but it will not come back incomplete. 
And so we spoke and said, we're going to shift nations. I spoke and said, we're in a feasting season where God is going to raise up Joseph's. I'll be honest, I did not know I was one of those. I knew what I heard from the Lord. You know, it's, it's very interesting because many times when God is accelerating you, right before that acceleration, everything around you looks deflated. You'll look around and you'll say, God, you're raising me up to partner and to see nations shifted and to bring unity in the body of Christ. And all you will see is disunity. All you will see, when God says, I'm about to raise you up and partner you with people that will take you into your next season, and all you look around and see people jump and ship. I can tell you that right before I left Pakistan, I'm going to be a little raw here. Right before I left Pakistan, I looked around and I said, Lord, it's cost me a lot to stand for my faith. Not amongst unbelievers, but amongst pastors. Do you know I have paid more in, re- in lost relationships with other leaders and pastors because I simply held to my values. That should not happen. It should not happen that me holding to values has cost me relationships, cost me other connections to churches, cost me speaking invitations, cost our church connections with other ministries. Well, we're not going to bring Pastor Ren and Freedom Fellowship in on this. We don't like him very much. Why? Because he tells it like it is. Because he's not going to sugarcoat what we're doing. And here's the truth, is that the enemy is always looking to cause division. And so as we're moving forward into that, I've learned one thing in my life. I've learned one thing consistently. Let the Lord fight my battles. I have no business defending my own name because it's not my name that needs to be famous anyways. So I don't care what the character of my name is. I don't care if my name is slandered and I don't care if my name is praised. I care whether his name is glorified by what I do. And so I don't defend myself from from false accusations and false slander. I just keep running forward. I don't have time to stop and put out all the fires the enemy starts. If I start being a firefighter and putting out all the fires the enemy starts, he'll do nothing but start fires for me to put out. I'm a fire starter. I have things to light. And so I'm called to move forward into that. So we move forward, and while they're talking, we're seeing 5,000 people come to Jesus. Amen? You keep talking while you're doing nothing. We're going to keep doing something. And so you can either talk about it or do something. Hallelujah. But words have implications and what you say matters and what we speak matters. This is a church that walks in authority and power and what we say actually matters. And we need to recognize the authority of our power in our tongue. You know, I gave Mark a hard time and playfully so. (laughs) We broke those word curses. You know, we broke that all off. Still ended up soon. Right? Because we planted what we planted. But, but I've, learned, I've learned something enough is that words do have power. And what we say and speak, when they're given to us from the throne room of God, they are seeds. I want you to understand that the vision that Joseph had, the dream that Joseph had, wasn't just a dream, it was a seed. It was a promise. It was a future prophetic moment that had to come to pass. But in order for it to come to pass, it had to be planted inside of a man. It had to come down and be received by a man. And hope and faith had to surround the seed. See, the seed was the promise of God, but our hope and our faith is the water on the seed. Too many times what we do as believers is that we think the key to getting our seed to grow is if we fully understand what's in the seed. So we want to take the seed, crack it open, and force it out. But that's not the way seeds work. Our job is to water a seed, and whatever's in it will grow. Whatever's in it will come out at the right moment, and we might not even see it because it's buried beneath the surface where it belongs, becoming rooted. You can't force a root out of a seed. It must come out when the right application is made, 
When water is put on it, when soil is put around it, the root will come out all on its own. Everything that that seed needs to turn into a fruitful plant has already been put inside of it. But we want to crack it open and take a look. We want to understand it and move in. The reality is, is that when God gives you a dream, it doesn't matter what it looks like to grow. All that is required is for you to add your faith and say, God, I don't know what this looks like, but I trust you and I'm going to pour water on this. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to thank you. Even when I'm in the middle of sickness, your seed is being firmly rooted. If you told me I was going to have to go meet that governor while I was coughing up a lung, trying not to cough, trying to get something across articulately while I'm thinking of all the things to sound business-like so he's interested. <laughs> and God has a complete different agenda. I didn't know what that seed looked like. I didn't know what God had planned that day. But I showed up there faithful to the assignment that God had on my life. So that God could give me favor with Pharaoh in the middle of a season where I was in a pit. Do you understand? Joseph was in a prison one day and he was in a palace the next. The elevation happened quickly. You don't know when God's about to take you out of your circumstance. You don't know when God's about to raise you up to the next level. The worst thing it can do is on the day that God shows up to take you from the prison to the palace, he finds you lacking. He finds you asleep. He finds you not being about his business and decides you need to sit in the prison in one more round. What happens when God shows up and finds his church slumbering? Finds them asleep, lethargic. Well, God, I'll worship you next Sunday. I'm a little tired this Sunday. I don't want to sing because I'll cough. I coughed all worship because I sang. I didn't save my voice for preaching. In the month of December, I want to change narratives. I want, I want to go a different direction. I, I've been praying about it and asking the Lord when I'm supposed to start into my science series. And some of you guys have been excited to hear about some of the science series of, what, uh, uh, of how I uh, prove through science that God uh, is God and he spoke the world into existence. If some of you don't know about my science series, the last time I did it, I spoke a turtle into existence. Oh, no, that's it? I did it. Some of you are like, what's the catch? Well, come and you'll find out. Okay, well, it didn't start walking, but it was close. And this time, by golly, I'm going to get it right. <laughs> it did dance. Yeah. No, I spoke nothing into a turtle. That's A dead turtle into a living turtle will be resurrection. Get your terminology right, okay? <laughs> I spoke dust into a turtle. And I'll do it again. Tor excuse me, a tortoise, let me be correct, okay? I'll do it again, and you'll see. The power of God. But, but God has been impressing on me uh, a lot about what, what he speaks and how the universe works through the spoken word of God and how everything is held together by his voice and by his hand and that what we say matters and has so much implication that as I release words to you about a Joseph season, I didn't get up here to give you some fancy, look what we did kind of speech. I got up here this morning to tell you that what I said to you about the Joseph season is here, it's available to you. And if you believe it like I believe it, you'll see it like I see it. It's not just for me, it's for you too. But depending on how you're preparing in the pit in the palace, in the pit in the prison, depend on how you get to the palace. I stood in the palace because I was prepared in the pit. Because I didn't lose focus. I didn't lose mission. I raised that money. I believed. And people said, you're, you're trying to raise, a, I mean, you're trying to do something really big here. You know, we, we're, our church is not that big for what you're putting together. And I said, that's right. God said, do it. I'm going to do it. It can be way bigger than me. If it's not bigger than me, it's not a God-sized dream. It doesn't belong in Joseph's mouth if it's smaller than him. 
God-sized things will always be bigger than what's capable for you. It will always go beyond what you're capable of managing. You're not the manager. And so I said, this thing's bigger than me. I don't know how we do this. That must be God. So let's do it. If it looks easy, I'm out. Because I know I'm in the wrong place. God's looking for me to trust him more. There's no trust when it's easy. So I'm not looking for easy. I'm looking for impossible. Show me the impossible. If you had told me that this was possible two weeks ago, I'd have told you, no, it's impossible. And then I would have got excited. I'm not afraid of the word impossible because I serve an impossible God. So I'm studying about these words and and uh, how God holds everything together with his voice. And, and I've, been, I've been looking into the science of it. So I just want to give you one little small thing about uh, what, what God is doing in this season and how, he's, how he moves behind the scenes and, and how our words have so much power. That God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. He came to Adam and he said, go take dominion over the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. That even Jesus said to him, if you say to this mountain, be moved into the sea, that it must be. That Jesus said to the fig tree, wither and die, and it did. That this God of ours can speak to storms and tell them to calm. He's the God that's big enough to manipulate the environment. He's the only one that demonstrated what dominion over the earth looked like. When there was a storm, he rebuked it. And he told us that mountains must move when we tell them to. He demonstrated with fig trees. These are not, we like to look at that statement of mountains moving and think of it more in a spiritual sense. But yet Jesus demonstrated in the physical things shifting and moving when he spoke about us actually having dominion over the earth, moving things simply by being who we are. By walking in what we're called to, by the very definition of our nature and creation, that we have the power to move the physical world. Well, that sounds pretty extreme there, Pastor Ren. You sound like a dominion theologist. Yep. You know, that's a thing where they're like, oh, he's a dominionist. You know, he's, a, did you, he, he's one of those dominionists. Go and take dominion. This is not a hard theology. Like, this is not, I don't know why everyone's got a, I've heard people have a problem with that. I'm like, I don't know why you have such a problem with God's first command. It was not a suggestion. It was a command. So what does it mean? So I found something that was very, very interesting, and I just want to kind of articulate it to you. I'm going to try to do this as non-sciencey as I can. I I am a little bit obsessed um, with quantum physics. I'm a little bit obsessed with quantum mechanics and the quantum realm of our world. I mean, most of us are very familiar with quantum physics, I know. (laughs) If you're an older generation, you know, if you're a little bit older because you watched Quantum Leap, so you know. (laughs) And you're like, I still don't know what that means about quantums. Okay, so I want you to picture this idea is that Um, there's all these things that happen inside the quantum realm. Um, And scientists are just beginning to understand. And for a long time, quantum mechanics and quantum physics seemed like this kind of almost magical thing that was very misunderstood. But over the last decade or so, we've begun to break down these walls and understand uh, the power of these uh, 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 movements or these uh, physics principles that exist at kind of a subatomic particle level. They exist underneath the, 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 the physics of our world. And so quantum mechanics, quantum physics, don't break the laws of physics. They go be, below the law of physics. They're, they're what is the, the foundation for the law of physics. But they don't operate the same as our, as our physical world. <clears throat> and they operate quite differently, in fact. And every time they study something new, which, which over the next month or so, I'll break down some of those characteristics that are just beyond fascinating. But Every time I study a little bit more, I start to see the hand of God in our world. 
I start to see the creative power of God moving and controlling and manipulating everything. Now, here's what's amazing is that if, if I were to tell you that this podium is watching me, you would say that I've lost my mind a bit. That this podium is determining what it wants to do and how it behaves in the physical realm based on whether or not I'm paying attention to it or not. If I told you that this podium is needy for my attention, would you believe me? So in the quantum realm, in quantum physics, there's this interesting thing where they studied light particles, uh, photons of light. And what they did is they blasted one light particle. They had this theory about the way in which light particles would respond when shot across a room. And they were amazed to find that photons, when they studied light particles, that light particles, when they traveled, they traveled um, as a wave, uh, much like if I threw a stone in the water and you saw a, a ripple. So that water would be pushed or accelerated and it would travel out as a wave. The further it went, the bigger the wave gets, right? So it travels as a wave. It does not travel as a particle. Uh, the best way to describe that would be a single particle traveling like a bullet, right? Consistent, same shape, traveling through. So what they did is they set up these plates and they put little slits through them and they fired a proton, one light molecule at the slit. They put something behind it so that the light molecule passed through the slit and then hit the object behind it so they could gauge how it traveled. Uh, and what they found is that every single time they watched the light particle, it, when they shot it, it turned into a wave, like a sound wave or a, or a water wave, and it would bounce off that a little bit, would go through the slit, and it would kind of splatter all over the back. The light particle would hit. And they thought that was interesting. Um, and, and then they did something profound. They stopped watching. They looked away. And they shot the light particle. And when they were not looking... Same camera systems, same registries. By them simply turning, shooting the same particle, the particle, instead of traveling as a wave, transformed and traveled as a single particle like a bullet, passing through the slit and fully hitting the target behind it. It stayed one single particle. And they, they went, what, what happened? We looked away for a second and something different happened. So they turned and observed it again, and when they observed it, it turned back into a wave. When they didn't make eye contact, it stayed a particle. When they made eye contact, it was a wave. And they tested it every single way, and what they found is, is that the light particle itself knew when it was being observed. And it behaved differently because mama was watching. Right? They, I don't think they got any moms in because the particle didn't know that she has eyes in the back of her head, so she saw anyways. And what they found by the research is, is that at the subatomic particle level, at the quantum level, that light and other particles respond differently when they're being observed. Not by cameras versus not cameras, but by humans. I want you to hear me, what I'm saying. Subatomic particles that are not considered living organisms know when you are watching versus not. Your ability to watch them, your eyes on them, change how they behave in our world. Not when you speak to them, not when you tell them to, not when you come and take dominion, just by the very act of your eyes being present on them changes their behavior pattern. Light responds differently because I'm aware of it. And it's aware of me. God said in the beginning, let there be light. And there was. Do you understand that when Genesis 1 tells us in the beginning, that there was a void of darkness over the earth and that God's spirit hovered over the surface of the water and God spoke and said, let there be light. Do you realize that's not the day he made the sun or the moon? 
that the light he was speaking of right there was not the sun and the moon. It was not the daylight or the nightlight. But it was the very fabric of light itself that has the power of creation in it, that is in itself intelligent, that knows when man is viewing it, and it responds differently to our presence. What would happen if we started to understand that the very substrate, the very fabric, the very foundation of the thing that creates everything, that was the beginning and starting place of the creation of everything, responds to your presence. What would happen if you began to speak to it? What would happen if you just weren't nearly viewing it, but you were in dominion of it? What would happen to your world if a particle changes the way in which it moves based on your presence? Could you possibly tell it to move into an ocean? Could you tell it to move out of your body sickness? Could you tell all those things to change and shift? And see the environment shift around you because you are in it? I'm not talking about anything supernatural. I'm still inside natural. I'm inside physics. It didn't change its shape or the way in which it expressed itself when a dog was present. It was only when a man was viewing it. It was only when mankind saw it. And it wasn't when they turned on electricity or off electricity, turned a camera on, turned a camera off. It didn't change with a magnetic field. It changed when it's, your eyes were visible on it. But if, if a man turned around and did not watch it, it expressed itself differently. And you're telling me that God's not at work? You're telling me that God is not holding together the fabric of uh, uh, that a very light itself changes its expression. And if light was the first of creation, and when I go through my science series, I will prove to you conclusively that light was the carrier of all of creation. I'll prove it. There'll be no question in your mind. And if light is the carrier of creation, and it changes based on our observation of it, I wonder, I wonder, I just wonder, if where we are putting our time and attention, where our hearts are, where our minds are, where our thoughts are, don't have more power than we believe them to have. If quantum physics and scientists are realizing that just our presence changes the world around us, then maybe, just maybe, that God puts something in us to actually take dominion over the earth. And that when God says we're walking into a Joseph season, when God speaks and says, I'm going to give you favor on the earth, that maybe it would be a good time for us to exercise that. That maybe it would be tragic and detrimental for us to take this season to be complacent. That maybe the enemy's desire is, is for you to take a break for the holidays from your worship. If you simply gathering can shift the natural world, what happens when you put your voice to it? What happens when you put your worship to it? What happens when you put your prayers to it? What happens when you add faith to the seed? What happens when you begin to water that which God gave you dominion over? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. I'm going to see God move in crazy, miraculous ways. And that's just one small piece of the scientific example of what they're now discovering that is happening. Wait till I get in quantum mechanics and the Trinity. Wait till I explain to you through a scientific experiment that the Trinity is completely scientifically plausible. In fact, it can be completely explained through quantum mechanics. It's going to blow your mind, I promise. But God wants to shift your reality and shift your mindset to believe for greater things in this season. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom. Shalom.